We're going to be looking at the book of Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open that up. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you don't have one, there should be one tucked in front of you in that little seat back. I was told to make one announcement, and it's uh, regarding what, they, uh, what Aaron announced last week, the back-to-school backpack, uh, those little uh, bags that we were going to fill up with uh, back-to-school supplies. Uh, if you still want to do that, uh, right outside, there's still uh, plenty of need there, and there's still plenty of bags to fill. So um, somebody will be outside in that little, whatever they call it, thing, outside there after service. What's it called? The breezeway. I was going to say foyer or narthex, but I would have been wrong. So uh, go out to the breezeway, and somebody can hook you up there at one of the information tables. Uh, I think that's all I had to say about that. Romans chapter 8. I want to read a little bit of it to you, and then uh, we're going to get into it a little bit further. But before I start reading, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you reign And there's something in that that humbles us and causes us to realize it's not about us. Uh, That we glory in your exaltation. And Father, even when we're humbled, you are exalted. And so we pray for these moments here now, God, that these could be uh, incredible moments where you are exalted. And maybe in our minds and hearts, we're humbled to receive from you right now. Because uh, I confess right now, and we each confess We can't do it alone. We can't do it without you. And we need you today. Uh, Help that truth to get inside us today and be something that we walk out of here uh, repeating in our minds and living out in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8. I just want to read uh, four verses here. And uh, I'll give more uh, background here. We're going to get back into chapter 7 in a minute. But Romans... Chapter 8, the first four verses go like this. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. It's been said of Romans chapter 8 and Romans in general that this book is kind of the pinnacle of Christian theology. If you want to know kind of the big picture of what uh, God came to earth to do, both Old and New Testament, you look at the book of Romans. It goes, gives you uh, history, context. It brings you into the present. It tells what our future is all about. Romans is this great book of theology. And if you've ever taken time to study it, it's overwhelming in its depth. People say that if that is the crown of, theolo- of theological literature's Romans, they say Romans chapter 8 is the jewel in the crown. It's this bright, sparkling uh, point in the middle of the book. And they say that for a number of reasons. Um, they say that because chapter 8 has such great encouragement for Christian living in confidence. And I want to go into some specific points related to that. But I want to give you a heads up of where we're heading next week. And if you don't like what I'm saying today, uh, do the nursery next week (laughs) or something. You can take care of my kids. Um, Because we're going to be heading towards Romans chapter 8, verse 13. And uh, 
That's up there. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's a whole concept, and it's a deep theology called the mortification of sin. And so I used a nice fancy word. You guys get a new word. You get educated today. Read a great book called The Mortification of Sin. It's completely heavy and overwhelming. But that's where we're going to be going next week, is talking about practically how do we start getting rid of sin in our life. And it's going to be surprising to you because it's not about what you do. Okay? That's, it kind of surprised me when I started reading more into it. But today we're going, to, we're going to prep for that and we're going to prepare for that. Romans chapter 8, this great encouragement for Christian believers. When uh, a friend of mine came in here, he said, what are you going to preach on, Romans 8.28? Uh, and I could, I suppose. There's a ton of great stuff to preach on, and I'll take it backwards. Starting in verse 38 of Romans chapter 8, is that truth and that kind of great one-liner, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And preachers love preaching on that because it's so easy. You just say it. That's over. Go home. <laughs> you know, Romans 8:37. we are more than conquerors through Christ. And you've heard that one before. It's a great thing to preach on. Romans 8:31. if God is for us, Who can be against us? We can stand in strength because he's on our side. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. Boy, you love hearing that one in the right season, in the right moment. And when you're going through a hard time, you just kind of go, you know what? God's got, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's something on the other side of this that's going to be awesome. Right now, I don't see it, but it's coming. Romans 8, 28, awesome to preach on. Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding with groans too deep for words. Uh, the former pastor here, Jim McGee, turned me on to a book that's called Too Deep for Words. And it's this kind of, uh, almost like this kind of monastic way of approaching God where you're, you're letting the Spirit groan for you in prayer. And there's plenty of times when you don't know what to say in prayer, and I don't know what to say in prayer, and the Holy Spirit does. And so we just kind of go there and we go, oh... And the Holy Spirit does his work and groans with uh, words that we don't even know how to express. Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That is the proof and that is the assurance you have that you're a Christian, is you have a testimony inside you that says, I'm a child of God. And you know that because, Romans eight fifteen, you have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't it cool that we don't approach God just as this kind of big, all-powerful, like, CEO of the universe? We approach a father who we can term affectionately daddy. And I never even go that affectionate with God. I just kind of go, hey, that's a little too personal. I'm like, father, okay? You're a big guy upstairs. I want to be careful with you. But, um, but he's our daddy. And we can come before him with confidence and boldness. The first part of chapter 8 is dealing with a whole different reality. And it's a lot more complicated to talk about. It's kingdoms in conflict. And you've all been prepped for this because of John's uh, descriptions, that there's two worlds, these kind of two kingdoms that operate. There's the kingdom of the world, and there's the kingdom of heaven. And these two things, they don't agree with each other. They're different realities. They're different uh, ways of looking at things. Um, They're different worldviews, if you will. And these kingdoms come into conflict in the beginning of chapter 8. It talks about the flesh versus the spirit, which are, you know, are, are uh, the, the core behind these two different kind of kingdoms, that the spirit uh, is the thing that leads you in the kingdom life of heaven, and the flesh leads you into the kingdom life of the world. So uh, we could talk more and more about that. We'll get at that a little bit more next week. All of that is just stuff I could say. And you're saying, well, get to it. You know, don't bore me with the unnecessary details. But Romans chapter 8 is rich, and I'd encourage you to go back there and read it uh, if you get a chance or if you need that kind of encouragement. 
We're going to start today with what I'm going to call a most honest problem. If you are the type that likes to fill in the blanks, that's the blank problem. It's a most honest problem. What do I mean by that? Romans chapter 8 starts in verse 1 with one word, therefore. And when I went through seminary, the big uh, phrase that you'd repeat when you saw therefore, you'd say, what is the therefore? Therefore. And it seems, you know, it's like, and you just think like, am I in second grade here or what, you know? But what is the therefore, therefore? You have to kind of understand what, this is a, a, an argument that Paul is, is addressing to people. He's saying, you know, I'm building each thing kind of step by step by step. And he says, therefore, after everything I just said, therefore, there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you have to understand, how do we get to the place of not being condemned before God? That our actions or inactions aren't condemned before God, but he accepts us in Christ. And to get at that, you have to go back. Uh, initially, you have to go back to Romans 5.18, where it says, Condemnation came to us through human disobedience to the will of God, which is called the law, big capital L, law. Uh, whenever you read that in this chapter and uh, in, well, except for one occasion, and in chapter 7 and on through the rest of the book, the law is the human attempts to do what God, no, the law is what God has declared to people. This is what you ought to do if you want to do right. Uh, humans come into that and they say, I'm going to do my best to try to do it. And how well do they do? 90%, some of them get an A-, minus. some of them get a B+, plus. some get a C-, minus. most get an F, but you need 100% to get through on, you know, to get through, to pass it, to get on into heaven. And so Paul goes back to that point. He says, therefore, there was condemnation that came to us through human disobedience to the will of God, which is the law. But now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he also gets into something in chapter 7, which is where I want to spend a lot of the time this morning. It's this context that talks about the conflict of these two natures that go on inside of each one of us. And I could take a long time explaining this, and I don't think I need to. I'm going to read it, and I bet you you'll get what I'm talking about after I've read it. He says there, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. This is Romans 7, 14. Sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am practicing what I would like, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, repeating this kind of concept over and over again. What's he getting at there? It's both this kind of conflict of the two natures that I mentioned before, but there's something deeper. And it's something that I think we experientially know without having it explained to us. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Or the flip side of that, why do I fail to do the things that I want to do? And this isn't talking about human indulgence. You know, I really want a big screen bigger than the big screen I got. That's not what we're talking about. Why don't I go out there and buy it? Because there's practical considerations there. We're talking about on the spiritual level, when God says, you know what, be honest. Tell the truth at all times and don't lie. Because when you lie, you're trying to get out of something that you shouldn't be getting out of. Own up to it. And if you've ever tried to live that life, how many times are you tempted to just pass something off? Put something there under the radar, you know? Kind of just say a little lie to get people off your back. 
I've done that, especially growing up. I did that a million times. I was the passive-aggressive type. And if you had me as a child, it was the child you loved to hate, right? Because it's the child that on the front would say, yes, mom, yes, dad. Whatever you say, I'll do exactly what you say. And then, you know, a day later, a week later, hey, how come the lawn is still growing? And it's much taller than I remember it. Did you do it? Oh, you know what? I was so busy playing my Atari. Back then it was the Atari. I was so busy paying my Atari that I just, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah, but it, this, today it'll happen. You know, another week goes by, uh, it's getting quite long, and I'm noticing that it's seeding, and it's starting to spread seeds everywhere. Oh, no, it's going to, ha- you know, it was passive-aggressive. Do you hate me yet? Do the parents hate me yet? They probably do. <laughs> anyway, um, but one of the ways I get out of things is by lying about things, and I had a, a friend of mine and I were in my uh, car, my mom's car, actually. I was a junior in high school. I just had my license, wasn't a very safe driver. And I was driving in the mountain roads up in Santa Barbara, up in Foothill, and driving these mountain roads. And there's this one section that is, um, it's got a very steep downhill and very windy. So I get up to the top of this, and I wish my friend had come today because he could confirm this story for you. He's in the car, and my goal is to just make this guy, I mean, I don't know how to say this. I just wanted him to just be so scared. I wanted him to be gripping the you know, gripping the dashboard. I wanted him to be holding on to that little, you know, whatever that safety thing is up there and you know, stumping his foot down like he wants to hit the brakes. I just wanted to scare the living daylights out of the guy for some reason. I'm a junior in high school. That was what my thought process was at the time. So we start down the top of this thing and it's winding. And I come around the first turn. And I just say, I get around the first turn and it's kind of screeching. It's like, wait, what are you doing? I'm like, no brakes. No brakes. We're going to go down. Here. We're going to go down here. No brakes, buddy. We can do it. We can make it. I, you know, we're just going to do this. And he's like, dude, use your brakes. No, we're going to do it. No brakes. And, and so I'm seeing him get more and more tense. And we're heading towards this one turn that's like a, it's a strict 90. It's like a 15 mile an hour turn like this. And if you don't make the turn, you go straight into this embankment. So I'm heading straight for this thing and we're picking up speed and I'm driving. You've seen my car. I showed it the last time I preached. It's a Honda Civic wagon, 1500 cc's, beautiful car. We're talking anti-lock brakes weren't even a thought in the process of the people manufacturing cars back then. So I'm heading down here, heading closer and closer to some embankment, picking up speed, 35, 40, 45, 50. I'm closing in on this 15-mile-an-hour strict right turn. And at the last minute, you know, I'm just waiting until he's just screaming, wanting me to stop and slam on the brakes. And at the last minute, I slam on my brakes, but it's way too late. And I just lock him and go straight into the embankment like this. And so I'm like, oh, He's like, well, what did you think was going to happen? Oh, I don't know. So uh, you guys are probably a lot smarter, okay? But I was a junior in high school, and I just didn't think more than about 10 feet in front of me. So uh, we back it off. It, you know, the bumper had fallen off, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of slammed the bumper back on there, went home. It was, in, it was after dark, so I just parked the car and, and went to sleep. And I just thought, you know what? My mom will never know. She'll never, she'll never know. And she gets up the next day, and she's like, uh, what's happened to the bumper? The bumper looks all wrong. And I said, oh, no, this is just a, you know, it's just a cosmetic thing. <clears throat> you know, put it on there. Okay. Uh, she's like, well, I, I don't know. And so I said, well, I, I think everything's okay. So anyway, she had to take it in for some routine maintenance. And the guy said, hey, how come there's dirt everywhere? There's dirt under the bumper. There's dirt wedged in here. How could dirt get in any of these places? I mean, you'd have to take the whole bumper off to get dirt wedged in all these places. And so she comes home and she says, Tom, did something happen last night in the car? What do you mean, Mom? You guys ever do that? <laughs> what? I, I, is there something? No, I don't. Um, so, you know, kind of goes around that for a while. And she says, 
Well, the guy says it, it almost looks like you it, it got run into something. And I said, well, Mom, you know, sometimes when you're parking the car in a parking lot, you know, there's those little parking barriers. And, and you know, I notice that sometimes you go into those a little hard. Maybe you ran over one you didn't know. And she said, and she bought it. She's like, she's like you know, that might have happened. You ever try to do something like that? You know, lie your way out of something? Now, Ever since becoming a Christian, I feel real bad about this stuff and almost everything except for that one I've owned up to with my mom. Time is coming. I'm sure it'll have to happen. But this is one of these realities, isn't it? This honest problem that we have, why do we do the things we don't want to do? Uh, Back in those days, and even now, the temptation is there. I want to get out of the problem. And sometimes the easiest thing to do, it seems in my mind, is to tell a lie. I want to lie my way out of this problem. How well does that usually work? Now, I'm talking this is... 20 years after I did that thing with my mom's car, and, what, and I'm still like, you know, I should tell her about that. How would you like a 20-year problem because of a, you know, a 30-second lie? That's not a good, that's not a good bargain, you know? Uh, but this is the way it works. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I think that type of reality connects with us. I hope that as you see those words even written on the page or on the screen, that it connects with you and you say, you know what, that, uh, that describes my life. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And I could go into a bunch of different details. And, and most of us know that there's a lot of areas that are just real secret and inside us. Thoughts that come to our minds that are never spoken. Nobody's ever seen them. But God knows about them. Why do I think those thoughts that I don't want to think? You know, and they can come at the wrong moment. You know, you're having a great conversation with someone and you're thinking, well, why did they say such and such two years ago? You are like, why did I even care to remember that? But it comes to your mind or something much darker and sometimes grimmer than that. But addictions, temptations, thoughts that can come in and and can cause horrible havoc. But what's at stake here? What's at stake here in chapter 7, verses 14 through 20 and on to the end of the chapter, is uh, this reality of, do I have to do it myself? The question behind, why do I do the things I don't want to do, is I'm trying to do it myself. I'm trying to fix it myself, or I'm trying to do the right thing myself. And so God comes out with, what is right to do? He reveals his will, and God loves us, so he says, this is what I want from everyone. The whole Old Testament is him talking about, you know, it, almost it seems like a nauseating amount of laws that talk about, you know, what do you do when you got mold in your household? Well, you scrape it clean, you wash it clean, you, bring, you show it to the priest. I mean, how would John like it if all you were like, hey, I got mold in my house again, John, can you come by and inspect it and see if it's clean or not? That's the way it was in the Old Testament. And all these laws were there so that the people would know what is right to do and what is wrong to do. The problem is, it didn't change people's heart. They couldn't do the right. They could only look at it and kind of say, I'll try. And they tried their best and oftentimes failed. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? The problem is, I can't do it. And Christianity hinges on this um, kind of moment in time where you realize, I can't do it myself. I can't do it alone. I can't do it without help. Uh, I spent uh, about 10 years working with, uh, primarily working with people in recovery. And, uh, and that's like a key moment in people that are working through addictions and recovery. Is you have to come to a place where you say, I can't do it myself. The problem with some of the rest of us is we're like, oh, I've never been addicted to nothing. The problem is we've all been addicted, in a sense, to sin. We, we can't say no to it. We can say no nine times out of ten. And then the last time we're like, I'm going to lie to get my way out of that. I'm going to entertain that thought that goes through my mind. Uh, I heard an interesting story uh, about this guy, Malcolm Muggridge, who was a journalist, a very famous journalist who, who's dead now. But I've uh, written some great literature, became a Christian eventually. And uh, he had this time in his life where, you know, everything was going okay in his 
marriage and stuff, but he, he just, he longed to have a relationship, just a, a strict one night sexual relationship with somebody else that would never, you know, never come back to haunt him. And he was traveling in India and uh, he went out early in the morning with all these thoughts that were kind of pressuring his mind and, and, and weighing down heavily on him. And he saw this woman down by the river and he thought, now's my chance. Nobody's around. Nobody's ever going to see what's going on. He doesn't know Christ or God. He doesn't think anybody's looking upstairs. And he's just like, now's my chance. And he goes up to the woman. And when he gets close to her, she flips around on him because she heard him coming. And she's got leprosy. And her hands are covered up and some open sores are there. And he just like, he stops in a moment. He's like, what in the world? But that's the way that this is. It's this thing that says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And you're getting these moments where these thoughts come through your mind and you're pressed and you're pushed and you know what's right to do and you're like, it's almost like not enough to stop you. And if it wasn't for this woman having leprosy, it wouldn't have stopped Muggeridge. What's at stake? Can I do it alone? We come as Christians to a relationship with God that starts with, I can't do it without help. I can't do it without God. It's always tempting to do it by myself. And uh, in the Olympics... During the Olympics, everyone is all hopped up on thinking like we can accomplish anything, right? Man, you got Michael Phelps out there, and I don't know if they showed the last race yet. Did they show that last night? Yeah, okay. So I'm not going to spoil it. I mean, he got his eighth. He got his eighth gold medal, unprecedented. He's got more gold medals than any other Olympiad ever with, what, 14, six from the one before and eight from this one. Uh, just crazy, the things that you can do. And, like, a ton of them are world records. You've got, uh, for those of you that are track and field enthusiasts like myself, you've got the 100 meters with uh, the guy Bolt, uh, Usain Bolt from Jamaica. He lowered the world record and beat everyone by two-tenths of a second, which is unprecedented. Just an incredibly fast guy. And at the end of it, if you watch the footage, at the end of it, he's just like, whoa, yeah, hoo And you're like, what? And he had a world record doing all that stuff. And people are like, what could you have done if you just shut up and gone for the line? Uh, but you think about human potential. You think, what can people accomplish? They can accomplish anything. That, however, strikes against this reality. I can't do it without God. I can't go through life without God. And the beauty of it is, God doesn't want us to go through life without him. It's not like he's going to say, oh, you, you can do it by yourself. Great. Go for it. Because usually when we try that, it falls apart. It fails. It's, it's a horrible wreck. That takes us to this kind of next point. The first one was the honest problem. And I hope each one of you connect with the reality. You know, that reality that says, um, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And even after you're a Christian, that comes back and kind of hits you as you're tempted. You're like, why, do I, why am I tempted by the things I don't want to do? Well, you're tempted by them because in a, in one, on one level, you want to do them. But that leads on to this next thing, the most incredible verdict. That's Romans 8 uh, verses 1 and 2. It kind of gets us back into the context. We already started it off. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. If we start off with the honest problem, I can't do it alone. This is a pretty amazing uh, conclusion that God comes to. Uh, I would come to this conclusion, you know, after trying and trying and trying to be right before God and failing like an addict that's gone back to using, you know, a dozen million times and says this time's going to be different. It's kind of the same way we've got. If you're trying and trying and trying and trying and you come before him and you say, you know what? Ah, I'm going to try one more time. And what he says is instead of condemning you for all your failures, he says there is now no condemnation. So the person that was crying out as Paul, it says, you know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? You know, constantly this thought is on me and I can't help myself and I can't, I can't do better. And then God comes out and he speaks and he says, I don't condemn you. 
Isn't that a trip? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Those things don't relate. The one says to me, you ought to be condemned. You failed the test. You deserve the F. And on the other side is God saying, you passed. What? You guys ever had that happen in school? I've never had that happen in school. Of all the times that I went and uh, I went to uh, uh, criminal cases with people that were, you know, kind of going through the system or whatever, and we were trying to get them involved in our program, our recovery program, and go in there, of all the times I went, I never had a judge just kind of say, well, you deserve 10 years, but I'm going to give you nothing. I've had sometimes people say, well, you deserve 10 years, I'm going to give you, you know, like five years of parole, or you deserve three years, and I'm going to give you three years of parole or something like that. I've seen something like that happen with somebody that just says, you're free and clear. You're okay. The verdict comes back and it says, not guilty. You're like, what? Did you look at the evidence? Yep, you're not guilty. It doesn't make much sense, but this is our father, right? The one that we cry out to, Papa God. He's, he's our daddy and he's the one that clears us and frees us. And he frees us in a very special way. We were condemned by our inability to do what God had called us to do, what he had commanded us to do through the law. And we couldn't do any better. We fell short. We deserved whatever the right punishment is. And we learned from both 7 and 8, chapter 8, that the punishment for sin, even once, is death. And he clears us. And he clears us in a special way. And it says he clears us. Uh, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This law that stood as kind of a judge over you has been broken. He goes on to say a little bit later that he condemned sin in the flesh. He sent Jesus to condemn sin. So no longer will sin condemn you. God condemns sin in the flesh. And the condemnation is severe. If you don't have a solution to this on your own, if you don't have a solution to this that works, you're condemned to eternal separation from God. And that's something that here and now is frightening. Uh, There and then, for all eternity, is just utterly astounding. How can we live that way? How can you live that way? Wallowing in your sins. I mean, the things that are your pet sins now, can you imagine being plagued by those forever? I wouldn't want to. But there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just a couple words on this. Now. Indicates there's been a change. All the things that led up to this were different. Now, things are changed. They're different. No longer is it the same. There's now no condemnation. No, uh, for those of you that are parents and have gone through this, no means no. What part of no don't you understand? When he says there's no condemnation, it's not like he says, well, you've done pretty good and I'm going to hold a few things against you and the rest I'm going to clear you of. It's just all clear. There's now, therefore, no condemnation. Now, when I say no, never, nothing, it's always, uh, you always have to look at that understanding that I'm human. And if I say, I would never say such and such, it's just a matter of time till it comes back and haunts you, right? I would never, like one of the things in our marriage, we never say the word divorce because we just don't, we don't even want to entertain the idea of it. Does that mean that it won't happen one time? I say, I'll never say it. Well, I hope it would never be said. You know, but I might just be saying, well, I heard so-and-so got a divorce. Oh, I said it, you know, uh, because I'm human. But God's not that way. God doesn't have slips of the tongue. He doesn't have a, a slip of morality or something like that. When he says no, it means no. No condemnation means no condemnation. You're asking, you know, how can I do this myself? You can't. And he says, I'm going to free and clear you. You don't have to worry about it. And it's no more. No more condemnation for failing to do what you should do. God is the absolute 
And he freed us in Christ Jesus. If you try to find another solution, even another religion to solve this problem, it will not work. And uh, you know what? I'd say try it and you'll find out it's a failure, but don't waste your time. You're in the right place and learn about it here. Learn how to live that life in Christ. It's a different reality. It's not a, a set of duties you perform. That would be the error of chapter 7, that you're trying to do the things you're supposed to do and not do the things you're not supposed to do. Chapter 8 says you're free and clear of that, uh, and it's not just a set of things you do and don't do. That's not what Christianity is. If you come here thinking, well, the thing I don't like about Christians is they're always like this, or the thing I like about Christians is they're always like this. It's not about what we do. It's about a positional change. It's about a relational change. Uh, when I was three weeks old, uh, when I was born, I was put into uh, a foster home, something like that, an adoption agency foster home. And at three weeks old, my dad and mom adopted me. And they signed the papers and they said, we're going to take him home. And they changed my last name. And so I became Tom Davis. And I've been sometimes a good kid, sometimes a not-so-good kid with my passive-aggressive, you know, saying yes with one side of my mouth and no with the other. Um, and for 40 years, my dad and mom have not said, well, that's enough. 40 years has got to be enough. <laughs> Let's, uh, you're done, and we're going to kind of you know, write you out of our wills, and we don't want you involved in our lives anymore. No, it's a positional change. As soon as they adopted me, I was theirs. I don't belong to my biological family, although it's always interesting to find out information, but um, I don't belong to them anymore. I belong to my mom and dad. And that's happened with each one of us that are in Christ You've been changed. You no longer are like, oh, I still, you know, I'm, I'm wallowing down in this world and I'm trying, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Your life has changed from that. Through no condemnation, you are now in Christ. So, that's kind of the reality so far. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? The honest problem. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Solved the most incredible verdict when he says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then quickly to close, it's this last part, verses 3 and 4. And there, the Apostle Paul says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What the law could not do, what the command of God could not do, what the revelation of God could not do, God did. God comes out and says, this is what I want you to do. We can't do it. And so he does it instead. So my dad comes to me and says, how come the lawn hasn't been mowed? And I say, oh, I'm going to get to it today. Oh, I'll do it. Oh, no, dad, no, you told me I'd do it. You already gave me my allowance money to do it. I probably should go out there and do it. No, I'll do it. That doesn't make sense. How many of us had parents like that? Uh, I would have probably been a very lazy man if I had parents like that. But this, isn't this amazing that God takes us from this place of utter frustration? We can't do it. He uh, no longer condemns us, and then he does the very thing we can't do ourselves. The law could not do it because of the weakness of the flesh, which is what we talked about in Romans 7. And God did. I heard an example as I was listening to a couple sermons on this about the difference between a spit and a spatula. By spit, I mean that thing you stick the meat through. Um, you could get a nice, thick, fat roast and say, man, I'm going to put that baby on the spit. I'm going to slow roast it, and it's going to be nice. 
And so you cram the spit through there. You put the little tines in there, and you start rotating, and it starts rotating. And you go maybe an hour, maybe you go an hour and a half, you go two hours, and you notice that the meat's starting to slip off the spit. And little by little, it's kind of you know getting a little more oblong as it goes around, and eventually it's just going to fall into the coals. That's the spit. That's your ability to do what God's called you to do on your own. You're the spit. No offense, you're the spit. The spatula is what God provides. He doesn't come there with this big rose and say, you know what, just try to do your best. Hold it together as long as you can. Try not to fall into the fires of hell or something like that. He comes along and he lifts you up and he says, I'll do it. I'll do what you can't do. And he places us into the plate, you know, I don't know, maybe that's not the right thing. He places us into the fire to get cooked, I don't know. But the spit versus the spatula, is, is, this is what God does. He does it for us. If you try to do it yourself, you're like the spit that the meat just tears off of and falls into the flame. God does it for us. He condemns sin in the flesh. He did it for me. And the result is that the requirement of the law is now fulfilled in us. All the, all the things that he commands us to do, and I'm talking all of it, is fulfilled in us because we're in Christ. Now, there's something there that's hard to grasp, and we're going to have to get at that for uh, another week. But then out of this great activity that God does for us, we lovingly, freely respond. Um, We're free to respond to him. And we can respond to him in love, not out of obedience, not out of a sense of duty. We can just respond to him and say, uh, I want to do what you want me to do. It says that the the blessing of the new covenant where Christ comes and gives us the gospel is that he writes the commandments of God on our heart. And so we don't need a speed limit sign that says 65 is the max. We have a law in our own heart that governs our lives that says this far and no more. Or shouldn't you be getting off your butt and start doing some of this that God's asked you to do? We respond to God in love. And that's what it talks about in that very last little bit. It says, uh, we, uh, we're those that don't act in the flesh and set our minds on the things of the flesh, but those who act according to the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. That's who we've become. So these three kind of movements, this first movement that says, you know, uh, I've got a pro- you know, there's this problem, this honest problem that we don't know how to solve. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Leads into God's verdict over us. Instead of condemning us as he should, he sets us free. He says, no, I don't condemn you for that. And then he provides for us so that we can actually fulfill what he's asked us to do. But we don't do it as a duty or a law. We do it in the freedom of relationship with him. I can mow the lawn for my dad because I love my dad and I respect my dad. Not because I don't want to mow the lawn. You know, not because I've got an Atari fixation and I need to play more games. Or something like that. I'm so glad I wasn't around when PS3 was coming. Woo! I would have never left the house. Um, but this is, this is the verdict for you. God has set you free so that you might live for him forever, for the rest of your life, and on and on and on. We are